introduce our guest, Henry Lozano, uh, who back uh, from uh, 2007 to 2008 served as deputy assistant to the president as director of uh, USA Freedom Corps, and from 2009 to 27 or 2011, executive director of uh, Shinyo uh, N Foundation, and beginning in 2011, director of the Los Angeles County Teen Challenge and Urban Ministries Initiative. Uh, Henry C. Lozano, along with, uh, as you'll see on the cover of the book, uh, the the Borderlands book, as told to Brian C. Nixon. So Henry and Brian join us in studio. Guys, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to walk us through Henry's story. Steve, it's it, as normal. It's it's a it's a blessing to be with you, and I could say that it was truly an honor uh, to work with Henry to get his story from his life and, of course, what was going on in his memories onto the page. So we're, we're really excited to be with you. It's an honor to be here today, an honor to be with all of you, and a privilege to find me in a room with these incredible men that are plotting a book that has the possibility of entering this great country and having an effect What's going on today in the United States of America and around the world is mind-boggling. Well, and, and actually, Henry, what we'll do is, is uh, you kind of hinted at, at uh, the issues that we're going to be dealing with in our conversation today. Let's uh, go back to uh, earlier years in your life, uh, you know, starting uh, with early family life in the Imperial Valley uh, and how that led eventually to... Uh, to troubles uh, that that we will find in the book. Growing up with my mom and dad, I'm Junior, Henry Junior. Um, my dad was a rancher of ranchers, ranched thousands of acres in the Imperial Valley. And if you don't know where the Imperial Valley is, it's right on the Mexican border of Mexicali, Mexico. And on the other side is Calexico, California, where I graduated high school. And it's, you know, like I said, just to be my dad's son in those years was, I had it made. I knew that. Dad, mom provided everything. The, the family just kept growing. And, and all of a sudden, after high school, Going into college, I, like every adolescent at that point in juncture in life that's not thinking about his life, his family's life, the implications of what he could do, I entered into that world of drugs. Found myself smuggling heroin across the international border. Now, that isn't an easy task, I'll tell you, and I'm not making joke out of that, but to actually get enough heroin across the international border from Mexicali, Mexico, into Calexico, and then distribute your product to do what you're going to do. Well, now, Henry, uh, uh, what what uh, what drew you towards that? I mean, you know, in, in reading in the book, I mean, just it just seemed like the ideal family life. Uh, I hear your you know your dad had, had served; he was a veteran of, I believe, World War II. Uh, and a uh, well-respected man uh, managing uh, the farming, you know, farming community employees in the Imperial Valley. Uh, it just and 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 actually, you know, as I read through and and you articulated uh, family trips in the car, 
Uh, and it just, I mean, you know, it reminded me so much of my, you know, young years uh, and couldn't think of a better time. Uh, what, what occurred in your life uh, that, uh, that, you know, how were you introduced to the, the drug community? And like you said in the beginning, in the, that opening, uh, I'll just say it one more time. I had the best family anywhere around. Everybody knew my mom and dad. Everybody wanted to work for my mom and dad. And everybody just loved them. And for me, the firstborn son, to wake up someday in some stupid place doing something radically different than what I'd ever done before, to find myself smuggling heroin across the international borders, and then to find myself in the federal penitentiary because of that lifestyle, and finally getting out trying to make something of my life, is it's a blur to me. Yeah, it's yep. very day. And, and Steve, you know, one of the things, you know, th- this is a modern day story. I mean, obviously, um, you know, he worked under President George Bush, um, you know, and I know Henry's also a very humble man. But, you know, in his growing up, he met Cesar Chavez. I mean, they're, they're really he has some some great historical connections. But Henry, in, in our conversations, you know, that that catalyst was you just kind of ended up at a party um, where you were essentially, you know, you just went to to drink like so many other, you know, people your age, but something happened to you. What what happened to you at that party that led you into what we now know as heroin? You know, it's almost impossible to explain. When I think back on that time, I know what happened. But to this very day, I can't account for why it happened. To find myself waking up with a needle in my arm and somebody injecting me, almost instructing me how to self-inject, and all of a sudden, a thousand molecules going off in your brain, thinking about how incredible this is. Now, for all of you who've never done drugs, that incredibleness, remember, almost killed me so many times, put me in a federal penitentiary, and kept me away from the very people I loved the most, my own family. Life just disappears. You become some shadow, some vulgar individual that has one purpose, to get more drugs so you can use more drugs so you can sell more drugs. I'm one of the luckiest planet that did not die after all of those ODs, overdoses. Mm. If someone wouldn't have been there, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't have the honor to remember that this room full of these people today are having this story with me because this is a United States of America and a world issue that is taking our people by the hundreds of thousands, young people and adults, every year. Mm. This isn't going to decrease. This is like feeding the fish that haven't eaten. Mm. Too many young people are growing up thinking this is some fantasy like I did, and nobody's out there, and I'm, there are people out there, and I'm 
proud to work with these organizations that are trying so hard to intervene in school campuses and college campuses and businesses to get people to understand this is not a game. And we're going we're gonna to go into detail about some of those organizations that uh, Henry's connected with. If you just tuned in, uh, we're visiting with Henry C. Lozano. Henry's the author of Borderlands, A One Man's Journey uh, from Addict to Advocate. And uh, you'll find uh, more at henrycelozano.com. And a reminder that after today's uh, interview, uh, we'll be looking for your uh, message to us through our Facebook page uh, as far as what part of uh, Henry's story was most compelling to you, most interesting, grabbed you the most. And we'll have a signed copy of uh, Henry's book for you. But you need to leave us uh, contact information. We need a phone number, your name, phone number, uh, email some way to reach back out to you as you message us through Facebook. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hear more of Henry's story. We'll we'll head into uh, the incarceration story and uh, and what happened there. Uh, and when we come back, we'll we'll dive right back into it with Henry Lozano and uh, Brian C. Nixon, Nixon who uh, on the cover of the book you'll see as uh, Borderlands, as told to Brian C. Nixon, right after the break on ABQ Connect. Thanks so much for joining us on today's broadcast. We're spending a good portion of the hour uh, visiting with Henry C. Lozano, author of uh, Borderlands, One Man's Journey from Addict to Advocate. Uh, You'll find details at uh, henryclozano.com and the book as told to Brian C. Nixon. Now, let me me, uh, dig into that a little bit because many of our listeners are familiar with Brian. He's been on the show several times. Uh, Brian oversees the publishing department at Calvary Church, uh, or the the uh, teaching ministry of Skip Heitzig, and actually, Brian, I'll let you go into more details about that if you'd like. Uh, but uh, you know, this wasn't your first forte into writing. You've got uh, several books of your own that are uh, out there, uh, and uh, it's it's really uh, just a uh, 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 it was an opportunity. I, I'm getting you know for Henry to share his story and you to to really. Uh, wordsmith it. Yes. So what what had happened is a, a mutual friend of of Henry's and mine. Um, we we connected years ago about Henry's story, and he had said this is an amazing story. Henry went from an addict, which we just heard in the first segment, to working for the White House that we're going to hear here in the future. And at the time, there was so much going on, including a couple of book projects that you had mentioned I was working on. But finally, when, when I had the open free time, I reconnected with an old friend and we called Henry and I just started to listen to Henry. And then my journalism jumped in and I started to ask Henry questions and so on and so forth, giving some ideas. The next thing you know, I just knew that this book had to be written. And so what happened is over a series of probably three months, or more, uh, Henry and I would get on Zoom on a weekly basis, and I would ask him questions about his life. And Henry, honestly, this book could be three times in length with the amount of things Henry has seen and experienced. Um, but what we were able to do is partner and get this his story down on the page and it, it truly was a privilege. And again, I can't underscore how modern this is. And Henry touched on this in the last segment of how so many youth in our culture, and, and not just youth, adults, are, are being infested, addicted to drugs. 
and it is truly a pandemic um, in our society. And Henry has seen this firsthand. But I don't want to take up more of his story because really it's his story that is truly um, amazing. Okay, so as, as Henry shared, uh, he was living near near the uh, the border in California, Mexico, and uh, uh, began using drugs, yeah. and then began smuggling drugs, yeah. and then eventually, and it's early on in the book, by the way, uh, it kind of starts with the bust, uh, you know, Henry, uh, and and then and then uh, kind of backs up and goes through his life story, yeah, which if you weren't tuned in early, I mean, just uh, you know, uh, the the perfect American story, really, yeah. uh, as far as family. But uh, Henry, then then incarceration came. Tell us tell us a little bit about the, the years of incarceration. And and even and Henry, tell our listeners about the bust. I mean that that I mean I know we heard the the radio segment at the top of the hour, but tell people what happened. I mean you know your story is in in many ways tragic at this point. You know someone shoots you up with heroin, you become an addict, and then you start dealing. But then. You're getting ready to go over the border with your brother. Correct. And to pick it up from there. And, and I have to make a declaration that nobody forced me to do that. And that's the most important understanding of what's happening to people that accidentally somehow get nurtured into that conversation and get a needle in their arm. I had nothing to do with anything right. I had everything to do with everything wrong in my life mm -hmm. that caused my parents the pain it did, that caused my brothers and sisters the pain that it did. And I'm just thankful that my brother and sister didn't go down that mm -hmm. road. It just, you know, yeah. it's but, just... But Bob was with you when you go over the border um, to pick up heroin from Mexico. Bob is with you, and he has no idea what is going on at that point, he's kind of your, uh, you know, your brother. He's a passenger. He's just along for the ride. You're, you're, you're coming off of heroin. You're picking up a load. So pick it up from that moment where you pick it up from this family, and you're heading back towards the the U.S. border. That's absolutely correct. My brother, my brother, thought he was driving me across the border to go have a meal and to see some other people that we knew over there. Never did he have a clue that someone was going to be passing a bag off to me, and I was going to bring that back across the border with him. And if I wouldn't have been in the car with my brother, he never would have been stopped. He never would have been interviewed. None of that would have happened. Neither one of us would have ended up in that cage. And mm -hmm. I'll forever uh, feel the pain of, you know, yeah. and so, what I did to my own family. Yeah, and you were brought in, the, the, the officers, the guards, they, they sensed something was wrong. You were brought in the room, the cage. You stuck the heroin in your beanie. Yes. And then it was ripped off. It, it came out on the table. And then at that moment, you made a beeline for the door. And you broke out of this and just ran back towards Mexico, correct? Yes, the moment, the moment they took the beanie off my head, I knew I was in trouble. And if I, and I, that door was that close to me, I'm going to do this. I mean, I was in trouble anyway. I looked at it. What, what could, what's going to happen in here? They're not going to shoot me. 
were in their headquarters. I ran, escaped, and did all of that crazy stuff, fighting through to get to the people, get on the other end. After people started yelling, stop him, stop him, stop him. Yeah, and then you, you make your way down towards the border. You kind of wind through some streets. A dog almost uh, bites you. You end up in a bar. What did you do at the bar? I sat at the bar wondering, what I was. how was I going to get back? When you do what I did at the border, then you're in Mexico. How do you get back? The only way to get back is, is crazy. And I just, I had no idea. I was, I knew <laughs> that my chapter was over because that meant that the narcotics agents that were always watching me on purpose, as they should be, were going to know, know what I just mm. did. Yeah. And, and, and also what you communicated to me is that, you know, you had a heart for Bob who's stuck in this room. So you start making your way back towards the border. But it's at that time the border agents surround you, guns pulled, and you you hit the ground, which right. is what the that opening clip is, is a, a dramatic presentation of. That is perfect. That's exactly what transpired. So so and to, to Steve's question, um, Henry, you then obviously end up in prison and you you are shipped to a, a federal penitentiary. And I remember in the story, there's this really interesting guy you meet in prison um, who, in a way, becomes kind of your coach not a coach in a good way, but a coach of how to get out of prison and what to say so you could go free. Tell us about him. Waking up, finding yourself in a federal penitentiary, looking around, knowing this is not where you should be and where you want to be, and everybody eyeing you to see what kind of advantage they can have by doing whatever they're going to do. I know and understand clearly that all of that in the federal penitentiary is all of a sudden here I find myself in a special bunk. They moved me out of general population, put me in a special two-man cell, and the guy I was with was called Bugsy. That's all I ever knew of him, Bugsy. And Bugsy, for the next number of weeks, trained me on how I was going to get out. Because you were looking at 10 years. That's I mean, right. if, if they would have convicted you, you would have been in for 10 years. And Bugsy in the story is kind of this mysterious character because you didn't know it and we don't know it, but he probably was a white collar, maybe lawyer or someone who was in federal penitentiary. He saw something in you and he coaches you, gives you legal advice, basically how to get out. So from what went from a 10-year possible sentence, he was able to help you get out in three months. That's Is right. that correct? Absolutely. And Bugsy was everything you just mentioned. This was one sharp guy, a heart of gold. I mean, why in the federal penitentiary is some guy going to take you on and tell you, I know how to get you out? Hey, if you just tuned in, uh, we're in the midst of a conversation uh, with the author of Borderlands, One Man's Journey from Addict to Advocate, uh, and uh, as told to Brian C. Nixon, who essentially wrote the book, uh, having gotten uh, uh, you know the, the story told to him uh, by Henry C. Lozano. Go to henrycelozano.com, and you'll find information about the book. And then we also are encouraging you, we've got five signed copies of 
of Henry's book that we're going to be giving away to you, uh, the listener. All you need to do is go to our Facebook page, uh, do a search for KLYT on Facebook, or go to facebook.com slash KLYT883 and leave your, your name, uh, contact information, and what portion of Henry's story uh, you know, drew you in. It was was most interesting. So wait until the end because the most uh, the part that'll connect with you may still be uh, on the way. But uh, uh, as we said at the top of the hour, uh, Henry uh, back in two thousand seven two thousand eight was the deputy assistant to the president as director of USA Freedom Corps uh, and uh, was involved with uh, other foundations. And then in twenty eleven, uh, the director of the Los Angeles County Teen Challenge an urban ministries initiative. Now, uh, b- uh, clearly before that happened, he, he had uh, spent some time as we're talking about now, uh, incarcerated. Uh, and we've got about, uh, another 15 minutes to, to get through Henry's story. Uh, but I do want to get onto the part, uh, Brian, let's, let's talk about, uh, Henry, uh, after incarceration, you know, and actually, uh, I know, I know part of, uh, where we're, we're going as far as, um, kind of the company you keep, uh, you know, and, and, and I guess as not only do I want people to, you know, find, uh, the book, uh, but, uh, uh, really what, you know, what can we, what can we take from this? And, uh, clearly to, you know, to have been put in a situation where, uh, the drug use began, uh, but the drug use, even after incarceration doesn't always stop. Uh, and, uh, and unless Brian, there's there's more about the incarceration story, you know, uh, having walked through it that you and Andor Henry want to address. Let's get to the to the portion where in, okay, now he's been incarcerated, he gets out of prison, and then what happens? Yeah, and and I don't want to steal Henry's thunder here, but essentially you would think that he would get out of prison and get his life back in order. He does not, and he, Henry, you know this. Henry goes back to, if you will, his old ways. And, um, and up until this point, um, he's, he's been, you know, dating and so on and so forth. Well, he, he finds the gal and, um, uh, he, he gets married and I, and, and again, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we only have a short segment, but he gets married and then together he and his new wife are still taking drugs and they are at, they're basically hosts of a drug house and they see some horrific things at their house, including um, a possible uh, dead body where Henry saw this person carted away. But Henry's life was not, not um, all uh, bread and roses right now. Um, and what happens is it gets to a point boiling point with he and his wife were where he's challenged to do something about it. And I'll let you pick it up here. And it was his mother, actually, that said, Henry, you need to get this taken care of. So let's pick up where she looks at you and says something specific, Henry, that causes you to to go over to, to seek help. Picture perfect. And dad was there, too. But mom had this voice that just focused on me and was literally saying, look what you're doing to the family. Look where you're going with this, you know. And 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 her her statement to me was, my mother was what was called the curandera, a healer mm-hmm. woman. Mm-hmm. When she said, looking at me right in my eyes, you're going to die in 24 hours mm-hmm. if you don't stop. And 
if you knew my mother, you didn't joke about that. You didn't just pass that thought on. You realized mom was seeing something in her spiritual world that had something to do with me, and I better listen up. And I, I was totally, I was frightened. I couldn't believe it, but this is mom. Mm-hmm. And I knew I'd been through all of this stuff before, and it wasn't going good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, really what happened at this point, and, and just to help our listeners kind of keep the narrative going, is your parents take the kids, and you and your wife, and we're, we're going to leave your name anonymous right now, um, you guys head essentially to San Diego, where you go and get involved with what's called teen challenge right and that was your first experience to christians in in a in a narcotics type situation so uh what our listeners may not know because they haven't read the book obviously is you still have drugs in the car as you're pulling up to teen challenge to try to get help but what happens when you walk into this teen challenge uh, facility what amazed me the most was that the director, I didn't know he was the director that came out the front door to invite me and, and Tempe into the you know, Teen Challenge Center and, and to talk to us. But, but the moment I got close enough to him, I could see the tattoos on his neck. And I knew exactly where he came from. He was part of the San Diego gangs. And I'm sitting there going, what in the world is going on? Here's a gang member, San Diego, wants me to go inside and telling me there's good things ahead for me. I did go inside. Tempe did go inside. And we were blown away. I mean, there was nothing but ex-drug addicts in that place helping each other, making things work. And the staff were all graduates of Teen Challenge. Incredible to see those kinds of life transformation. So he asked me while I was still there, do you want to stay with us? And I said, why don't you give me and my wife just a few minutes to go outside and talk about this? I says, because she's going to have to get home and all of that reality. She, I don't know she's going to want to stay because Teen Challenge was, is a women and a men's facility. So we went out, and what we really talked about was what are we going to do about all the drugs we got in the car? You know, are we going to use them right now, or are we going to leave them hid here and leave the car hid here? And that's exactly what we did. We did not get totally blown out. It, we somehow, and I'm going to say it as it is, by the grace of God could see that something was happening that was way beyond our control, that God was trying to move us into his hands and his facility. Yeah, and then, and, and again, for our listeners, what happens is from here, you, get, you, you go into Teen Challenge, and you enroll, and you and Tempe, and then you're transferred. And and so our listeners know, you're not yet a Christian. You're not a believer at anything. But you're later moved to the castle, what what we know as the castle. It, it's a very large teen challenge place. And it's at that point you experience Christ. Mm-hmm. Something, two things I remember you telling me, Henry. Number one is you, when you finally did get off the heroin, you had no major withdrawals, which you really saw as a sign from God. Lord, I'm not, I'm not going through what all these other people do. And then 
The second thing is you really saw people who cared for you and wanted to to minister and be around you. So why don't you tell us briefly about that moment where you received Christ? You have to understand what the Benedict Castle is in Teen Challenge. This is unbelievable. It is a real live castle where movies are made. The Hunchback of Notre Dame was in that tower that's in the castle. It's just gorgeous, huge piece of land. But the most incredible part about it is everybody there is in recovery. Everybody, from the director of Teen Challenge in that facility to all the counselors, all of them came through Teen Challenge. And we're making it so that you bring that together with us walking in the door and seeing all that. We knew. I could read by the tattoos where they were from. We knew this was real. Henry, would would you say what sets Teen Challenge aside for maybe some other uh, organizations that would walk people through uh, dealing with addiction is its connection to Christ. And how 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 did that difference uh, really stand out in your life? I mean, clearly uh, there was a point then that you made a decision for Christ uh, while engaged with Teen Challenge. Right. And that's when I was talking to the director. And he, you know, he knew that there was something going on in my life and the possibility. And there was an opportunity, took me down to the basement. And he said, I'm going to pray for you, brother. And both of us, he laid hands on both of us and pray, we prayed for, he prayed for us. And all of a sudden it was that sense of what is going on? I felt something so fresh in my spirit. I didn't understand it, but I was... I knew enough that there was a God and God could change things because of all the people standing around me. They had all come through that same experience. They were all there with clean eyes, no drugs, and all of a sudden it just hit like a train. This is the Lord. I want this. And, you know, I want to take this opportunity uh, because— there's someone maybe listening who's walking through that right now, through, through that addiction, uh, through uh, that, that suffering, uh, who's making others suffer along with them. And uh, actually, Teen Challenge New Mexico is something uh, that you can do to reach out, uh, whether you're someone who, you know, someone in your sphere of influence needs assistance, or maybe it's you. Maybe you're hearing Henry's story and you're thinking, uh, I, I need that kind of help. I, I want to be done with this, and I don't know what to do. Here's the phone number to call, okay? I'm going to give you a phone number and a website. The local uh, uh, Teen Challenge New Mexico is 505-281-8467. I'll give that in just a moment uh, again. But also, you can go to the website at teenchallengeusa.org. You'll find information to to find help there. Uh, And again, locally here, Teen Challenge Challenge New Mexico, 505-281-8467. We've got actually about about 10 minutes uh, and a great opportunity from here to to talk about, Brian, uh, Henry's growth in Christ uh, and then going on to serve as an advocate 
uh, to those uh, f- found in addiction. And, and let me say, Steve, here that our listeners really do need to read the book because so much is being left out. Like any any story, you know, we're giving you the movie version of it, if you will. But you need to go read the book because what happens is, is Henry becomes a Christian. And they see great potential in Henry. And he starts to rise through the ranks at Teen Challenge. Um, he, he becomes a, he works for Teen Challenge. I'm not going to give some really heartbreaking elements away because I really want our listeners to do it. But some, some things happened in Henry's life while he was at Teen Challenge that really are devastating. And, and we don't have time to get into that. But what happens is, is he becomes a director. He, he really is rising in the ranks at Teen Challenge. Um, but then some other issues happen, which will have our, our readers uh, attuned to it there. But then he, he, he takes on a whole different angle in his life. He starts taking a more, um, let's call prominent role in drug advocacy in the state of California. And then there's a sub-story here, Steve, that our, our listeners really need to understand, and that is a childhood friend of Henry's who was an agent undercover in Mexico is murdered. And this, I won't say the, the TV show, but it's been made into movies and made into a, a TV series and so on and so forth. It's a true story. Henry was uh, associates with this guy. Henry, in his life, then says, we need to do something about it. And Henry starts what we know the Red Ribbon Week. And the Red Ribbon Week later was picked up by the Reagans and, and used um, part of that. And by the way, the agent is Kiki Camarilla, and you could you could he's you could Google him, you could do whatever. But I'll turn it over to you. So so Henry, at that point, you've you've risen up to a broader drug advocacy role in the state of California. You start the Red Ribbon Week because your friend was murdered, which then led to obviously greater appointments and under George Bush. But talk to us about what happened at that red ribbon campaign. What, what was the catalyst for you to start that, which was a national campaign. Right. I mean, that went around the country. So give us some, some insight into that. It, you know, it was fate in the sense that it was happening across the United States. This was no longer under the covers and people didn't really know what was going on. By the time that happened, this country was battling for its own children's lives and their husbands' and wives' lives because the drugs had just smushed us. And when you think about what's happening right now in the United States of America and around the world, I've always understood that this advocacy role is critical. People have to come out. They have to talk about life. They have to explain what's happening and, 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 and engage in prevention, intervention, treatment, and recovery services to help other people. Yeah, and and you obviously as an advocate, you, this is what you're promoting. But but what was the incident? I mean, obviously Kiki's death, where you encouraged kids to make some red ribbons. Is is that? I mean, essentially, where red ribbon, the campaign that was later picked up by the White House, started with just you wanting to fulfill a need. Tell us about that. 
It, it was it was one of those, I'm going to go speak to these kids in the school. I'm only going to do a classroom, so there's not a lot of them. And I, it, it was just, it was literally destiny. I had some red ribbon cloth. I had a pair of scissors. And I thought, I'm going to make a wristband ribbon for all that whole classroom. And to go in there and to see those kids after the presentation, because I had mine on, come up and say, can I have one, Mr. Lozano? Can I to watch that whole class tie each other with ribbons? Mm. Incredible. Yeah, it's it's always interesting how these small things, you know, you do it just out of, oh, I, I want to minister to these kids. And then it's later picked up by, you know, the national campaign, other drug advocacy organizations, and it, be, it becomes the Red Ribbon Week, right. which some communities still do it to this day. But But of course, you were the founder of it. And then, and then just to move a little bit quicker towards the, the White House, you, because of the Red Ribbon campaign and your advocacy work, got on the radar of a lot of different people. I mean, there were senators, there were congressmen who were recognizing what you were doing and seeing that you once were a heroin addict, but now you're one of the you know, biggest advocates, uh, anti-drug advocates. So talk to us about from that moment of where you're on a prominent level in drug advocacy, where you got that phone call from the White House under George Bush, where, talk to us about that moment where you literally are on the phone with uh, the, the president's people. It, 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 it's hard to imagine <laughs> because when I received the call, I didn't know who was at the other end of that phone. And the next thing you know, they're talking to me about things that I knew about and things that I'd done in the White House. And thank you very much, Mr. Lozano, for helping us with this campaign and that campaign. We're really wanting to focus in on your drug prevention stuff. We'd really like for you to come to the White House and talk to us about what we could do nationally with this campaign. And of course, I'm sitting there smiling at the other end of the phone, jumping up and down going, wow, this is incredible. I went sat down with those folks and worked with them to build a national campaign. And that's what led to my post as deputy assistant to the president of the United States as the director of the United States Freedom Corps, a military office. And I'm the director right there in the White House going, oh, my, and you know what? Well, listen, uh, if you've just tuned in, we've been in the midst of a conversation with Henry C. Lozano, author of Borderlands, One Man's Journey from Addict to Advocate. Uh, it's, it's important you hear the whole story if you've, if you've tuned in late. Uh, but the, the book, as told to Brian C. Nixon, uh, Brian, who's in studio with us, uh, uh, co-interviewing uh, our author, uh, Henry C. Lozano. Go to henryclozano.com for, for information on the book. Uh, and a reminder that our listeners uh, that uh, have been uh, tuned in and, and uh, you know, this compelling story, uh, it's now's the time to go to Facebook.com uh, slash KLYT883. Go to our Facebook page, uh, message us your name, your contact information, whether it's phone or email, and what portion of Henry's story resonated with you uh, the most. And, and Brian and, and Henry, to put a bow on this, um, I'll say in general um, that... Uh, even even the technical difficulties at the beginning of today's show and and issues prior to that, trying to get Henry uh, on the air to talk about his story, um, it's a spiritual battle uh, that 
that, that the enemy doesn't want us to uh, address. And Teen Challenge uh, did that in Henry's life. And I'll repeat the information for Teen Challenge New Mexico and then throw it back to you uh, for about a minute, uh, Brian, before we move uh, on to our next segment. Uh, Teen Challenge New Mexico is 505-281-8467. You can also go to uh, teenchallengeusa.org. Uh, Henry, Brian, let's put, uh, you got about one minute to put a bow on this, and then we'll move on to our next segment. Well, it should end with Henry, but I, I'll just let our listeners know that truly is a riveting read. I mean, people need to pick up this book and read about Henry's story, not only because they'll be inspired, but they will be encouraged and the Lord is glorified. But Henry, what are some final thoughts you would like to let our listeners know? The final thoughts that I'd like to close this with is that I am so incredibly grateful to our creator that my mother and father went to rest believing that their son was a good man. Mm-hmm. And how important that is. And so it's true. And, and if there's, again, and I said Henry end it, but his parents shine through this book amazing. If you want to know just two people that walked through life with Henry, it truly is. And I will point out in the book at the very end, Henry does give some life application points. I don't want to ruin for our listeners, but he really does leave the reader with some really deep things to think about. So I'd encourage people to pick up the book. All right. Thanks again to Henry C. Lozano and uh, Brian C. Nixon, uh, authoring uh, Borderlands, One Man's Journey from Addict to Advocate. Uh, you'll find details at henryclozano.com. Thank you both so much for your time and stay with us coming up our Friday financial update with Brian Cochran from John Moore Associates. That's next after the break on ABQ Connect.